Um, so let me let me fill you in on what happened with our family today. So uh, get the kids up. We're we're cruising along. We cross Capitol Boulevard. I do a double take just to make sure I did buckle him in. I did. He was good. Dropped my daughter off at school. Got my boys both to daycare. Dropped my oldest son off at daycare. Walking down the hall, I look down at Graham, our youngest, and he's just got kind of this happy look on his face. Get him in his room. Getting ready to take him out of his carrier and. Uh, where our daycare is and where my home is, we're, I'm about 15 minutes away, and I had an 8.30 meeting this morning at the hospital. And so I was dressed up, I had my tie on, and was ready to go. And I'm taking him out of his car seat, and I see his cheeks. That, And I don't, I mean, if you've got kids, the... And I don't know, nothing says you love your child like doing this when you take them out of the seat, and the parent, or not the parents, the two nursery workers are sitting there watching, and, and he just throws up all over the floor. And I just said, I got to go. Uh, I'll see you this afternoon. And that's uh, so what we pay good money for because uh, you're in daycare. But Friday, please. That, is, uh, that shirt speaks to me. Hey, if you've got your Bible, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to spend some time tonight. And we started Sunday night looking at, and let's do a little bit of a recap. We looked at Joash. And we looked at this guy who, by most earthly standards, had a great reign. I mean, he, he rebuilt the temple. He did. Uh, he, he actually goes down in Judah's history as one of the better kings when you look at all of the other kings that they had. But one of the things that we noticed about Joash is that his faith was really not his own. His faith was lived more through the priest, Jehoiada, than Joash. And we talked about how if you and I want revival in our life, then it has to be us living out this faith. It, it can't be us living out faith through someone else. It can't be, well, Pastor Jason would really love revival in this community, so let's hope we get it. No, it has to be in each and every one of our lives if we expect God to move. Monday night we talked about praying, and namely this this prayer of, of, of God, save me, Jesus, save me. We talked about Peter going out of the boat because he recognizes after Jesus speaks that it's Jesus who he sees walking on the water. And the only thing he wants to do is to be in the presence of Jesus. It's not enough to wait for Jesus to come to the boat. Peter wants to go to him. And and Jesus says, come. And, and, And many of us know the story. Peter jumps out of the boat. He makes his way to Christ. And he's looking at him. And the scripture tells us that In a moment, in a twinkling, we don't really know exactly how long it lasted, but he takes his eyes off of Jesus and immediately begins to sink. And he cries out, save me, Jesus, save me. And Jesus saves him. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He gets in the boat. Things calm down. And the disciples realize again and again, here's another instance of the disciples recognizing that this is someone who is not like them. Last night we talked about Isaiah being called up into the temple and being in the presence of God and and just so awestruck, recognizing who he is. And I don't know if you've ever been in those situations in your life where you've been so in the presence of God that you realize your, your own sinful nature. You realize that you're in a place that's holy. And of all the things that you see around you, the one thing that you recognize is not holy is you. You feel undeserving, you feel unworthy, you feel like you should not even be here. You would be in good company because you would be in the company of Isaiah. 
Isaiah says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen you. And we read how the angel goes and takes a coal off the altar with tongs and touches Isaiah and says, your sins have been atoned for. Tonight, the passage of Scripture follows something that your pastor shared last night as we were wrapping up. And I don't think it's coincidence that we're talking about this tonight, but Jason was sharing in his early years of planting out in Seattle a time of being around other pastors and this prayer of vulnerability, a prayer of a pastor who says, I need help. Tonight's story in the Gospel of Mark is is one that might be familiar to you too, but I want to invite you to, to read it along with me. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Just get a mental image right now of what we're talking about. How how desperate this father must be sounding. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and this is a prayer that or a statement that I have made so many times in my life. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And notice Jesus' response. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. There's a term that we've kind of coined this week called dangerous prayers. It's this idea that you and I have prayers that we pray in life. Some prayers are mechanical and and often routine. They find their way into our life at different points in the day, mainly in the morning, maybe before mealtime, mainly at bed. And maybe we even say the same things. We have a ritual, and, and, and maybe it comes from a heart of conviction But there's also prayers that you see in Scripture that are prayers of desperation, that are prayers of salvation, that are that are prayers of healing, that are prayers of give me strength or prayers of get me out of this situation or prayers of deliver me or deliver my son or deliver my family member or prayers of here am I send me those prayers 
well, I would say any prayer that comes from your heart, but prayers that really pull back not only how we're feeling, but in a moment of vulnerability that says, God, I am right here and I am yours. I am willing to do whatever it is that I need to do for you to hear me and to answer me. Has there ever been a time in your life, we try to start each night with questions, has there ever been a time in your life that you can remember where someone showed up and really helped you? Think back for a moment. Has there been a time, maybe a parent showing up when you least expected it, maybe a friend coming along when you really needed someone to talk to and, and you really believed that God put them there in that moment to help you? Or, or maybe somebody drops you a note in the mail and, and you've had a tough day and you go out and, and that note spoke so much to you. I, I would imagine that many of us, if we took time to think about it, could go back to those situations in our life and say, this was a time where someone maybe moved by the Spirit, maybe under their own volition, helped me. I, I've been sharing with you stories about Northside, and, and one of the, the most remarkable stories in my mind of God helping us was back when we started. We were what, what you call kind of a parachute drop. We, you go into an area. We didn't really know anyone. There were three of us, and we were planning to meet at the school. Those plans fell through a couple weeks before we were supposed to launch, so we ended up renting out an old Ace Hardware building. The Ace Hardware Nightdale was going out of business. It was in the storefront shopping center of Walmart. And Walmart was the only real shopping center in Nightdale at that time. And we began retrofitting <coughs> this Ace Hardware building. Our rent was $4,500 a month. This was in 2002. $4,500 a month we were paying in rent. We met there for a, a year and a half and began looking at other opportunities to go and, and to meet and to find something that was a little cheaper. And we found this building just, uh, uh, I'd say, half a mile down the road. It was an old warehouse building, and the rent was going to be right around $2,000 a month. And we thought, man, God, you have opened up this door for us. Our rent goes from 4500 to 2000 This is going to allow us to do so many more things. We go to the town of Nightdale. We jump through all the hoops. The town said, yeah, you can meet there. And we go over and meet. And one of the things that I had not realized is the town of Nightdale contracted out with the city of Raleigh for permitting. And so we go over and we have our first Sunday there. Word gets back to the city of Raleigh that there's a church meeting in this abandoned warehouse. And later that week, there's an unsafe to enter sign stapled right beside the entry door. Do not enter. I called and talk to the town of Nightdale. They said, well, it was fine with us if you meet there, but you need to talk to the city of Raleigh. And so we called the city of Raleigh, and the city of Raleigh said, your building does not meet code for an assembly. You cannot meet there. It is unlawful for you to take a group of people in there. And I'm sitting here thinking as a pastor, my goodness, I have led these people out of a storefront where at least we had space to this building that looked great, that I thought I did all of my due diligence and between Wednesday and Friday, there were these prayers of, God, help. That Sunday, we met out on the loading dock of that warehouse so that we didn't break the law by going into the building. And I can remember my mom, who's been so faithful at our church. I can remember my mom. I looked off to her in the corner, and she's over there in the corner crying behind everyone. And it hit me in that moment. Is this how the church is going to, to die? Is this it? And... I called the town of Nightdale the following Monday and just said, do you have anything, 
any place that we could meet. And they called back later that afternoon and said, we have this place, it's the, it's the community center. It had been the police station, the library, it had been town hall. It had been all of these different things through the years. And I'm thinking, great, no one wants to rent it. They're going to put this on, on us and say, hey, you can rent it, and here's how much it costs, and they're going to make a profit. And so we came to the all-important question, is it available? Yes. Can we use it on Sundays? Yes. How much is it? Well, and they're computing, you know, I can hear her crunching the numbers and kind of going through the paper trying to find the rental rates. And she says, it looks like it's going to be $20 an hour. Now, I loved 11th grade math so much, I took it twice. So it took me a little while to figure out, like, $20 an hour, $40 a Sunday, $40, 80 120 160 So our rent would be $160 a month. And she said, yeah, if you're, if you're there two hours, it'd be $160 a month. And I, I remember hanging up the phone conversation, and it was so clear to me that God had ordained all of that. And in spite of, of, of being, a, a, I would say, even a careless pastor, not really planning all that well for our congregation, that God in that moment delivered us and showed himself to provide for us in ways that I, I still I am humbled when I look back at that time. There are times in all of our lives, whether it's God, whether it's people, that people come through for us. And, and we realize what they have done and how much they have helped us. When you look at the story tonight, there's this backstory that's taking place here. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has taken his closest disciples up on this mountain. He has been transfigured in front of them, meaning they got to see the true glory of God in front of them revealed in Jesus Christ. They got to see him for who he really is. And, and it's amazing. I can't even begin to imagine what they saw. But Jesus tells them, whatever you've seen, do not tell anyone until after the resurrection. So they come down, and Scripture tells us that as they come down, there's this argument that's taking place between the scribes and the other disciples. The scribes were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who took the law, they looked at it, they copied it down and translated it for the people to have, for, for others to be able to read. And I can only imagine how much they have memorized the law in their minds as much as they've copied it, as much as they've had to write it time and time and time again. These were the people that knew the law. They knew the regulations. They were seen as the individuals who, if you had a question about the law, the scribes would be the ones who would answer it for you. They were rigid. I think there's application to that today. You've got scribes who are the religious people, and you've got disciples who are Christ followers. Do you know those two groups? People who are, are extremely religious and people who follow Christ. I would tell you there's a big difference. And it's not just a difference that's in our generation. This was a difference that took place in Jesus' day. You had the people who wanted to follow the letter of the law. You had people that it was all about keeping the commands to the exclusion of following the Messiah. People are coming from all over because they heard, they've heard of Jesus. And this father, we have no idea where he's from, but this desperate father brings his son believing that Jesus can heal him. And it must have been so crowded because the Bible tells us that 
He really didn't even get to Jesus. He finds Jesus' disciples first. And can you imagine the joy that this father feels when Jesus' disciples take the time to take the son and say, yeah, let's pray over him. We're going to drive this demon out. And you get filled with so much hope that my boy is finally going to be healed. And what happens? Did you catch up? The demon doesn't leave. Now, put yourself in the father's shoes for a moment. You have come asking for help. And someone says, I'll help you. I will help you. Only to find that the help they offer doesn't meet the need in your life. I asked you if there were people in your life who have helped you. Have there been people in your life who have tried to help you and not met that need that you had? Maybe well-intentioned. Maybe the need was so big that the help they were offering wasn't going to take care of your problem. You would be in good company with this father. This dad is here, and he, he realizes in this moment that the disciples can't do it. And, and I imagine Jesus looking at these two groups that are arguing. He's looking at these scribes, and he's looking at the disciples. And, and I can only imagine that he has two questions, or a question for each one of them. To the scribes, I, I think the question is this. You have someone who needs help. And according to Scripture, all you're doing is arguing with one another. You're arguing over the law. Here is someone who needs help right in front of you, and you're arguing. And to the disciples, I suppose the question is, I've given you the power to do it. Why, why aren't you doing it? They've cast out demons before. Why, why can't you do this demon? Did you notice what the demon did when it encountered Jesus? It shrieks. It throws the boy into a convulsion. Scripture tells us that the boy starts foaming at his mouth. It, it tells me that there are times when if you are willing to go up against the enemy in your walk with the Lord, that the enemy might very well come back with you with everything they've got. There's people that I talk with and they'll say, man, the devil's really after me today. And there's times where I think, no, the devil's not after you. You're just making bad decisions in your life. It's not the devil. It's you. You're, you're the one creating the problem for yourself. But there are other times where we are trying to draw close to God and the enemy wants nothing to do except bring separation, division, deceit, harm, death, all of those things to keep us from having a closer walk with Christ. How easy would it have been for that father to see the closer we're getting to Jesus, the more harm that's happening to my son. The, the closer encounter that he's having with Christ, my son's foaming more at the mouth. This demon is shrieking. I've seen a lot of things, but I've not seen that happen in my son. All these things that are taking place as they're getting closer and closer to Christ. Do you think for a moment that the enemy supports you as a church desiring revival? I don't think so. I think the enemy stands in the way of anything that God is trying to do. And it's not so much the enemy trying to convince God not to work as much as it is convincing us not to let God work in our life. It's interesting that Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? Have you ever read scripture and wondered why does Jesus have to ask questions? I mean, he's Jesus, right? I mean, you would think that this person who, who knows everything 
as a dad, you're bringing it up and you're saying, okay, here's my son. Well, how long has this been going on? You're Jesus. Like, I, I thought you would have known. Even in Scripture, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and God is walking with Adam in the cool of the evening. And on one occasion, God does what? He asks Adam, what? Where are you? Did God lose Adam? No. Why does Jesus, why does God ask us questions? Maybe because it gives us the reality when we have to answer them of where we really are. Maybe it causes us to think for a moment, where, where am I? How long has this been happening to my son? For whose benefit is this question being asked? For the crowd? Maybe. For Jesus? No, he knows it. For whose benefit is this question being asked? And if Jesus was asking you the question tonight, what would the question be? How long have you been like this? How long have you been hurting? How long have you been desperate? How long have you been trying to to do right and, and you're continually hitting a wall? How long have you been discouraged? What would Jesus be asking you? Not for you to tell him, but for you to tell yourself. I would say his questions cause us to consider the reality of our circumstances. This is what it is, and this is what I'm hoping for. This is where I am in life. I have a sick kid. But what I'm hoping for, Jesus, is that you can touch him and you can heal him. This is what is, Jesus. I am unhappy in my relationship right now, I'm unhappy in my marriage. But this is what I'm hoping for, that you can restore that relationship. This is what is. I am unhappy in my job. But what I'm hoping for is that you would help me to see it as ministry and not just work. This is what is right now. Jesus, I am not healthy. I'm sick. And I don't know if it's going to get better. But God, what I'm hoping for is what's to come, that this life isn't all there is. I I don't know where you find yourself tonight, but wherever you do, there is a reality between the questions that Jesus asks us And what it is that we're hoping for. And you can only get to what you're hoping for by realizing where you are. There's no way for this father to accurately describe what he's hoping for without recognizing where his son is and where his son has been. It's not enough to know that you have a need. According to Scripture, it, 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 it looks as if you have to do something about it. And we talked about this Monday night. Sometimes as Americans, maybe even sometimes as Christians, the idea of asking for help is, is seen as weakness. The idea of being vulnerable and, and sharing our heart and saying, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what is going on in my life would be seen as, well, that person's really not spiritually strong. Or or that person's weak. Or that person's relationship with the Lord isn't what it should be right now. I I look at this dad and I, I look what desperation has brought him to. He doesn't care who's around. He has a need in his life. And he's willing to lay it out before everyone. This man's even willing to lay out that he has issues with unbelief. I don't know if you caught that. Jesus is saying that it's possible for anyone who believes. And this man blurts out, help my unbelief. What if we heard that on a Sunday morning from someone? Maybe a deacon, maybe a pastor. What if we heard those times where someone called out and said, I'm having trouble believing right now. 
I need you to help me. I believe, but I have my doubts. I believe, but I'm struggling. I believe, but I have no idea how this is going to turn out. That is the prayer of God, help me. That is the prayer that I'm convinced reaches the heart of God. One that is out of desperation. One that says, this is where I am right now. And God, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to be God in this situation. His father is hoping for healing. But I suspect that this dad would have been content with whatever the outcome was. And the reason why I say that is when you look at what he says, he's really asking for help for two people, right? His son and himself. There's two different dilemmas going on. One in this father's mind is spiritual and one that he sees in his son as being physical. And what does Jesus do? In one act, he answers them both. He brings this boy to Jesus, and, and Jesus, we don't know exactly what he did, but he, he, he speaks to the Spirit, and he commands the Spirit to leave and never to return again. What does Jesus need to say to you tonight to cause things to leave and never to return again? Could you think of things that you would like for your li- for, to leave your life and never to return again? I can think of several things in my life that I would like for them to leave and never return again. And it's not people. (laughs) Struggles, doubts, fears. Things that make me question how faithful am I being to God. I'm I'm questioning this. I'm, I'm wondering about that. This man is bringing his kid. And Jesus speaks and says, leave and don't come back. And according to everyone who's watching and according to Mark who's writing this gospel, this kid falls down and shakes and convulses and gives the appearance that he's dead. Now, think with me for a moment. If you're in the crowd and you're seeing this, what is your first response? I'm sure there were people in the crowd thinking, Jesus killed him. I mean, he was supposed to deliver him. The kid is dead. And then Jesus says, no, he's not dead. Takes his hand, helps him up to his feet. We're never introduced to the father or the son again. At least not from from what I've seen in Scripture. They go away and their prayer of God help was answered. I, I look at that whole story and I think of the times that we go to God with affliction in our life. Or we go to God with people who we love who are afflicted. And we're asking God to do something that no one else has been able to do. Even the people who we thought could do something about it. That no one else can do it except for God. And we're crying out to Him and and we're praying. And as we get closer to Jesus, we feel the struggle that's taking place where maybe the enemy is pushing back harder and harder than they ever have before. And when we finally give it over to Jesus and we finally trust Him with it and remove our hands from it, it looks as if it's died. It looks as if it's not going anywhere. In fact, it's gotten worse. I love that Jesus raises this kid up 
and the disciples, I mean, if you try to place yourself in the story, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what they're thinking. But it, Scripture seems to indicate what they're thinking is, why couldn't we do this? Well, how, how come this didn't work? We're praying, we're asking, we're quoting, we're doing all the things that we saw you do, Jesus. Why isn't this happening? And did you catch what Jesus says? These kinds only come out through what? Prayer. The disciples are speaking. And then nothing's happening. You have a man over here who's struggling with unbelief. And his prayer is, God, help. Help my unbelief. Jesus tells them that all things are possible. This man laid claim to not only his unbelief, but a cry for God to help him believe. The deception that so many Christians face today is this belief or this conviction that somehow when you accept Christ, you accept him with no questions asked, with all answers being given, and to, to doubt your faith or to doubt your relationship with him is, is heresy. And I'm telling you, there are times, there are dark nights of the soul where that prayer of this man is our prayer to God, help me. I'm struggling right now in my beliefs. I'm struggling right now in my walk with you. What better week than revival to come back and say, God, I have been so spiritually dead for so long. Help me. Help my unbelief because right now all it is for me are motions. It is a dangerous prayer to pray that. Because for God to help you means that you will leave changed. For this man, for his boy, well, that change was great. And if we're willing to pray that prayer in our life, it might mean that things begin to shriek. It might mean that we get thrown down. It might even look as if things are dying. But if you're willing to believe who's on the other side of those words, if you're willing to believe who's on the other side of that prayer that you're lifting up, then there is so much evidence in Scripture that you are not going to be abandoned. That the prayer of God help is not going to fall on deaf ears. It's not just going to hit the ceiling and come back down. Every semester... I get five new interns at the hospital who want or who are studying to be chaplains or who are fulfilling a requirement in school or who are taking it for class credit or they're seeking ordination and their group says that you have to go through what's called CPE. And it's so interesting getting these students in January and May and August and, and walking with them through Literally life and death experiences when they're at the bedside of people who are dying. And when I take them to their office, the area they're going to be, there's two pictures on the wall that, in my mind, symbolize what their journey is going to be for that unit. One is a picture of a mountain, beautiful and majestic. The other is this picture of a valley that kind of has ominous clouds over it. 
And I tell them, during your time at this hospital, those two pictures are symbolically going to represent where you're going to be at different points, sometimes within five minutes of each other. The mountaintop experiences where you get to see God do some amazing things by the bedside, where you get to see people leave who were told they're not going to leave, to, to have conversations that really bless your heart. And then there's going to be times where, where you're walking through such dark times because you're with people who are suffering and you don't have the answers. But it's in the valleys, at least from my experience, it's in the valleys where you get to see God do some amazing things if you're willing to travel there. Had this father not reached out and cried out to God and told him about his unbelief, could we safely assume that maybe his son would have not been healed? There's no way to to get to those mountaintops without going through the valleys. There's no way... We're coming up on Easter. There is no way to get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. My challenge for you tonight, we're closing out revival, and I'm going to be done in just a minute. I, I don't know your prayers. I don't know if it's God save me. I don't know if it's God I'm, I'm here and I'm inviting you to do with me what you want or if it's God help or, or any manner of prayer. But what I want to challenge you tonight is are, are you willing to pray it? Not, not just speak it, not just think it. Are, are you willing to pray it and to trust that in putting it out there, the God of all creation is going to hear you and is going to answer it? If life is good for you right now, and your walk with God is good and strong, and maybe it's the strongest it's ever been, are you willing to go on behalf of your church? Are you willing to go on behalf of a neighbor or a friend? who you know is struggling. So tonight as we wrap up, I'd like to go on behalf of you guys and pray for you. Would you let me do that? Lord, I, I thank you for this place and Lord, the hospitality and the, just the generous spirit that's here. And Lord, there, there is not a single person in this place or any individual who is a part of this congregation or anyone in this community that you are not crazy about. Lord, I I think of revival and I think about what that means to each of us. Lord, if, if all this week has been is just something that happens and something we continue to do. And Father, I, I pray that you would help us to, to examine one of two things. One, why why are we doing this? Or or two, have have we missed something? Lord, I know this week has been prayed for. I, I know there are people who have been asking you. And God, I don't know if there are any here tonight who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, but Father, for those that do, Lord, I pray that we might be willing to live a little more dangerously. I pray that we might be willing to step out and and to pray things that would change us. That we would 
pray things that would reach your heart and, and in reaching your heart that you would once again reach ours. Father, for what you have done in this community through this church for, for the last 50 plus years, God, I, I thank you for that. I, I thank you for the legacies of faith that are represented in this room. And Lord, I know that you honor that. Lord, I also pray that as we think about what has been, that as a congregation we might be bold enough to pray what could be. And whatever you reveal to us, Lord, even in those moments of unbelief, I'm thankful that you're willing to come alongside us and help us to believe a little bit more. So Lord, tonight we we give you this time. As individuals, as a church family, thanking you for the movement of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we wrap all of this up in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that I pray.